I mean, you know, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints, right? Like the Billy Joel like <laughs> lyric. I mean, Definitely. you can be just a little bit of a sinner, then you can maybe be relatable in some possible way. Um, I think that's true. The other thing is the year before I started my company, I did um, the compliance glitter speech, which basically was about, you know, selling glitter that anybody can be compliant if you throw glitter on them. What do events, news, and culture tell us about how to be more effective at training and communicating? Whether you're in compliance, HR, risk, or general management, effective and ethical leadership requires two things, a consistent, dependable process, and eight specific mindsets that keep you real and salient to your audience. Welcome to the Eight Mindsets Podcast. Welcome back to the Eight Mindsets Podcast interview with Christy Grant Hart. So in part one, we talked about early influences, um, which is fascinating. We talked about really what what she learned from her early career and what she still uses now. Um, so go back and listen if you haven't listened. And in this part two, we're going to be talking about entrepreneurship. Um, and you would have heard in part one, Jason's, I think, Oscar winning speech about why we need to be entrepreneurs. And we're just going to go back into that conversation and then we're going to talk more fully about what that actually means for the wildly effective compliance officer. So over to you, Jason. And I think you're absolutely right about the passion driving it. And I know part of what fueled me as an entrepreneur, and I've come across this with the with the entrepreneurs that I that I work with now, is you just get to the point where you cannot stand a world where it does not have your good or service in it. And the prospect of somebody else doing it before you, doing what you want to do before you do it is unbearable. Hmm. Uh, and, and to me, that's part of a mark of it. But what, you know, I really wanted to get into this with you for a lot of reasons, including that your most recent book in the series uh, is the Compliance Entrepreneur's Handbook, which you co-wrote with Kirsten Liston and Joe Murphy. Um, uh, you know, the three superstars of compliance entrepreneurship. Uh, and it was about starting your own business within the world of ethics and compliance, as all three of us have done. Um, so here's my question to you, which is, do you think that the wildly effective compliance officer, that that thing which makes compliance officers effective and strategic to pick up your next book, is entrepreneurship. Is the wildly effective compliance officer an entrepreneur? I think to a certain degree. I think that they have to look for opportunity and be focused on what hasn't been done yet or what can be done more effectively in a way that um, I think entrepreneurs think in those terms. Where's where's the opportunity? Where's the, where's the open? Where's the thing that hasn't been done? Where's the market need, essentially, that I can fill? Um, so I think that there, there is definitely elements of entrepreneurship inside of that. I think that there's an element of risk-taking that's similar to how entrepreneurs think and have to think. Um, so I definitely think that, that that is a part of it. Absolutely. What do you think? Well, uh, we, we feel, you know, as I said, it's our first and last mindset, so we're pretty much all sold on it. Um, and and we actually have an article coming out on exactly that topic, but, but part of um, watch, watch for a compliance and ethics professional near you in, in April. Um, but, uh, you know, to me, there is also an element of 
uh, resourcefulness. There's an element mm-hmm. of being a jack of all trades, uh, living in a world, and, and you get to this on like the fourth page of the book, like living in a world of insufficient resources. Like if 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 your thought about it is strictly, um, if your thought about what you're doing in-house in compliance is strictly sort of like, well, I can't accomplish that because I need more resources. Mm-hmm. It's like, you will never win. It's like, that is a mindset that will that will never win for you because you're never going to have those resources. Um, the messages you have to deliver will continue to expand. The audiences you have to deliver them to will continue to expand. There's not enough budget in the world for compliance. To satisfy that, you got to find another way. Um, and to me, that is inherently entrepreneurial. I love that. I think that makes complete sense. I hadn't thought about it that way, but it's absolutely true. Well, thank you. <laughs> that means a lot. I, I also think, though, just Christy, what you're saying, I think the entrepreneurial part, there's, an, there's another part to it that we hadn't really thought about. And that's what entrepreneurs do, which is they are usually in some way a brand. Yeah. So very rarely, and they do happen, but mostly we see entrepreneurs who have invented something, thought of something, done something, and they are kind of like, the, they're the spokesperson. They're the, they're the mini Richard Branson. And I think actually what, what you were saying before about vulnerability and stepping up on your own terms and being you, I now I'm thinking that is being an entrepreneur. I'm now thinking actually what you're doing is you're betting on yourself so it's not just about trying to make less with more as as we'd seen it and you know looking at it as a small business and i think it is thinking of yourself as a brand and thinking about how you can make that brand as wide as possible in the company so it's kind of infiltrating yourself within the entire organization. So people are kind of, maybe even they're thinking about your phrases, they're thinking about your key messages, they're getting the slogan, whatever it be. And I'm just, yeah, I'm just wondering whether there's actually a lot more to what you're doing as well with with what we're talking. I, I I think there's a lot to that. I think the element, I mean, we talk about the mindset of the marketer, there's an element of branding and those kinds of techniques that go into it too. But but the connection you just made for me, Nicole, to what Christy was talking about, and I'd love to get Christy's reaction to this, is, um, you know, the whole thing about com- compliance not being the department of no, um, I think part of why people leave the room when they hear compliance is, you know, may have something to do with that image of, you know, the compliance leadership as the school marm. Uh, or compliance leadership as the guy with 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 a rod up his back, um, right? That's sort of like, well, you know, you're inhumanly perfect. You have inhumanly perfect expectations. Uh, why do I want to? Why do I want to be around you? And whether Christy, you think that element of vulnerability, that element of being human, that element of letting your hair down a little bit um, appropriately, but still letting your hair down. Um, Helps people see no, they're not any they're not any less human than I am. Uh, they are not any less fallible than I am. Um, and whether that allows you as compliance leader to move from a place of feeling the pressure to be perfect to maybe a more persuasive place of saying, yeah, man, following this, it's tough. I I sympathize with you. This is a bear. But, you know, 
um, these are the reasons why it's worth. But we do it because uh, to get to your to get to your other persuasive piece of advice about making sure we use the word because. Does that ring true to you in your experience? Oh yeah, I mean, you know, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints, right? Like the Billy Joel like <laughs> lyric. I mean, Definitely. you can be just a little bit of a sinner, then you can maybe be relatable in some possible way. Um, I think that's true. The other thing is the year before I started my company, I did um, the compliance glitter speech, which basically was about, you know, selling glitter that anybody can be compliant if you throw glitter on them. And that whole speech came out of studying sales techniques. And it's something that I really fundamentally believe that the compliance officers should do because that gets into the, how do I, you know, what do they want? How do I give it to them? How do I talk to them? What you know, what, what techniques can I do? Can I use to get resources to get, you know, how do I get to yes? What is the negotiation process for that? And I think that, you know, sales and compliance feel like they're on totally different planets, but they're not. And the techniques that work for people to sell widgets is the same type of thing because sales is just psychology and compliance complying is psychology. So you use those two things together and you're a lot more effective in that. Yeah, and that was something that really, you know, that has really jumped out to me from your writing. I mean, we talk, you know, your thesis and ours is that success or effectiveness um, in this whole world of compliance, ethics, risk, uh, internal communications, um, that it's much more about mindsets and approaches than it is about resources. Um, and you write about what you call the four primary motivators. Uh, and, and as I read that, I thought, Hey, this is what Nicole and I call the mindset of adopting the mindset of the learner. Um, that that you know, start your communications not from this is the risk I must inform you about, or this is the legal requirement I must you know, I'm, thou shalt. Um, that you start with, or you start from the place where your audience is, and you start with the things your audience is ready to listen about. Um, and when you talk about the the four primary motivators, that's kind of what came through for me. Does that does that make sense? And maybe you want to you want to fill our audience in on the four primary motivators. Sure. Um, yes, it absolutely does. Um, you know, we we put out a compliance training software recently, and in developing that, we were working with the uh, educational psychologist at University um, College London, Imperial College, and he was teaching us essentially about adult learning. And one of the major tenets is start with wh why does this matter to me? Just like immediately, don't even say FCPA, start with I'm you're here because, and the benefit to them. So I think mm -hmm. that it is all about that. And when you're dealing with the primary motivators, so what I noticed when I was, I, I've been to, I was very lucky. I, I was sent all over the place, 65 different countries that I've trained or spoken in. And I noticed in my in-house world that, that basically people were from different cultures with different norms, but everyone has the same kind of human experience and that there were four primary motivators that made people want to comply. And they're in some cases very much opposed and different. So some people are motivated by fear for themselves, things not going wrong, not getting fired, not going to jail at the very far outset, but just, I don't want to get in trouble, right? Other people are motivated by really loving the business. So fear for things going wrong at the business. They've got stock, they've got um, faith in the brand. They feel proud when they say they work there. They don't want it going badly for them. So those, those groups are motivated by hearing what can go wrong and wanting to not have that happen to them. Whereas the third one is what I call noble cause. 
These are people who at their core believe in ethics and compliance for ethics and compliance's sake, the being a good person. And they don't understand why other people are motivated by fear, because why do you need to be told that bad things will happen? You should just want good things to happen. And the fourth being competitive edge people like your sales folks that are motivated by winning. And if you're helping them to understand how they can win faster, better, quicker, more, then you're much more on their team and they feel good about it. But they think that the noble cause people are Pollyanna ridiculous. Why are you, <laughs> why are you thinking about all this stuff or, you know, we should be doing the right thing. Well, why? I don't know. I, I have to win. That's more important to me. So when you look at your stakeholders and try to identify, you know, what are they resonating with? You are using their motivation in the sort of literally in the drama way, what's my motivation acting thing is real. <laughs> what's my motivation means I can put myself in their shoes and have the response I want because I'm talking to what they care about. Beautiful. <laughs> um, and, and it also, not only do I completely agree with you, I also listening to you, it's like, you want to know why compliance professionals need a seat at the table on ESG? Because that's exactly mm. what's going on with ESG. That's the same. It's the same pitch, right? And if nothing else, we know the pitch, uh, or at least if we're good at it, we know the pitch. Um, but it's the same thing. It's like there's risk and there's rewards, and they come in the same. It's the same package when you talk about when you talk about ESG, and you can see each of the four motivators lying behind your ESG initiative. Um, so if, dear listener, if you're looking for like, why it is you need to be more involved in ESG, it's because you've sold that product. Um, you've also solved the problem, right? The reason, yeah. in my opinion, that we should be involved in ESG, not only because it's a good thing, you can tell I'm a noble cause person over here, um, <laughs> is because we know how to run programs that deal with different kinds of risks. So there's no reason that we can't run programs that have different stakeholders that have different subject matter experts, but we understand process and how to monitor and how to do all those things. So I'm, I'm passionately in favor of us being a major player in that space. Rather than organizations reinventing that particular wheel. Yes. Right. Amen. 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 <laughs> I want to like <laughs> cheer and sing. <laughs> so um, I want to, I want to kind of go back to, to part of your personal story and, and try to learn from something else you've done, which is, you know, we're, we're talking about persuasion and, one of your own forms of persuasion is, hey, you've written five books. Um, wow. And while you were in-house and then running your own business and getting that business started and doing all these other cool things, like, how'd that happen? How did one thing lead to the next? What was the creative process for you to, to even be able to pull that off? Well, I personally love a cliffhanger. I love it even more when it comes to content creation because it means that we're asking our audience to come back for some more and we are definitely asking you to come back for some more because in part three chris is going to answer that question and does she answer that question trust me we get into all sorts we get into book creation we get into marketing we get into the process we get into publishing we get into why you write it's really really interesting so tune in for part three I hope you enjoyed this session. I really did. I've, I've learned so much. Um, and if you want to learn more about what Christy does, or Jason does, or myself, Nicole Rose does, tune in, um, look at the show notes below because it's got all the links to who we are and what we do. And also, if you want to find out about 
the eight mindsets, whether you'd like to be a podcast guest or you'd like to learn more about what the eight mindsets are or work with Jason and myself, just go on over to www.8mindsets.com. We look forward to seeing you then. And that's a wrap.